You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra. Welcome to Line Noise. My guest this week uh, is the Australian Icelandic musician, composer, record producer, sound designer and director uh, Ben Frost. We spoke about his excellent new album, Scope Neglect, which is released in March. Uh, we also talked about making shit music and why he won't do it. Uh, Kirk Cobain's poetry. We talked about Silence, uh, Metallica's Black Album. And uh, because I absolutely definitely couldn't resist, we talked about Dark. Um, he is a very thoughtful, interesting person, uh, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, it's good, good to be good to be here today. Um, you too, mate. Hey, I was listening to Scope Neglect just this morning, mm. um, and uh, I was really enjoying it. But it made me a bit nervous. I've got to say, and your okay. your, your rat um, story has has not helped. So, um, I, I mean, I, I think one of the, one of the things, one of the reasons it makes me a bit a bit nervous um, is the vast gaps between like musical explosions. You know, there's like a big guitar part and you think, right, this has started. And then you've got to wait for like another five seconds or, or whatever. What's the idea to make people nervous? I mean, is that like a uh, a response you expected? Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm setting out to make anyone nervous. That's definitely not my intent. Um, I, I understand that reaction. But I think that the more interesting question for me is where does that nervousness come from? And I think it's like, it speaks more to the predictability of music than it, than it does specifically to the randomness of mine, you know? Um, you know, I, th I think there is a kind of a, you know, a big part of this record, a big part of music for me generally, but specifically this record is, is about, you know, taking some of these familiar ideas and, and kind of trying to uh, break them down and, and sort of parse them a little bit and, and, and reconfigure things in, in such a way that maybe the familiarity is only sort of equaled by the, yeah, the sort of, the, yeah, the, I guess the confrontational nature of negative space, you know, like around those familiar objects you know and specifically you know in regards to the guitar i guess i believe when you created the album at mm. times you created like entire orchestrations and then you just took them out basically yeah um and i wondered if that if that was sort of part of this like you know you the orchestrations would have been more normal um normal is obviously a big word but i think you know you know what i mean um and now they're not there it's almost like you it's almost like the listener misses something even if you've never heard it if that makes any kind of mm. sense well i guess the, the thing i would say to that is that you know when you have this thing of, of like um if you if you've ever been to uh you know a, a theater production or any kind of you know stage production where there's a there's an error on stage, or maybe you've been to one of my shows <laughs> where there's an error of some kind, and and the power cuts out, or the you know whatever, and there's a there's a there's a there's a silence, right? But then you also can go and see you know like a Stravinsky concert, and you know listen to the Rite of Spring, and you know in the you know in certain movements there is silence there as well, you know, or there's you know the silence of a of a John Cage piece, I guess is the the sort of the penultimate there but my point is is those silences are not the same you know one of those is a is an is an error it's a it's a void it's a it's a kind of a, an emptiness that is you know um maybe i suppose devoid of in, intent and then there's a different kind of silence a theatrical silence and 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 they operate in a different way and they they, they feel different and what I think I was sort of playing around with here was this idea that you know the the the, the kind of architecture that the guitars specifically are sort of navigating around there is an intention there and there's an awareness of a kind of a there's an awareness of a shape and I think that that changes the way that we listen to that space 
like the space feels different when there's there's an awareness of intention in in those spaces um and you know and the more i sort of like pulled things away from you know from there like you know i i knew like i you know what what greg and and sort of liam was leaning into um i think you can still feel that in those gaps and and so it changes the dynamic of it and it, it feels it has a pregnancy to it and a sort of a um there's an energy in it, which I, I, I find kind of thrilling, honestly. It's interesting you, you mentioned the Rites of Spring. I mean, um, famously, uh, when it opened, people rioted. Well, that's yeah. the story anyway. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not, not talking about necessarily a riot, but how would you, that kind of extreme negative reaction, how would you feel if somebody reacted to your new album like that if someone was like no i just can't i can't listen to this i can't i can't handle it i i've always taken the position that that i i can't control how how you know people are going to react to to what i do and and i i guess i'm that that's part of the job um of you know of, of making you know making it's part of the job of being an artist is is kind of is taking risks and, and and risking you know in in part a negative reaction to to what i'm doing um i guess the only thing that really would bother me in that situation is that there's perhaps um, um like a misinterpretation of 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 the intent um you know, and you know, to your point before, like I, I would hate, I would hate to the one a thing that a thing that would maybe bother me would be somebody sort of going, okay, this music has just been designed to scare me, like, and that is definitely not my intention at all, um, because that's not how I feel about it. You know, I d I didn't design it that way for myself. Um, you know, um, I don't know. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just wondering what your intention, what your intention was. <laughs> That's the big question, isn't it? Um, I say that sounds really rude. I don't mean that in any, no. Mean, no, 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 at all. It's a, it's a, it is the question, right? I mean, I guess, I guess the 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 real answer is the the intention is to keep kind of pushing the envelope uh of where my sort of um i suppose w what feels you know normal to me is different to you know that of my audience there is a there is a void there in in a sense in that you know and and I see kind of a big part of what I do as, um, you know, I, I don't want to put, I don't want to put things into the world just for the sake of it. I don't want to, I don't want to kind of make records um, that are just there for, you know, making content, you know, it need to me, I, I'm still of maybe a, you know, of a, the tail end of a gen or the beginning of a tail end of a generation of, 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 musicians who you know the, the album as a concept still really means a lot to me um this idea of a body of work uh and you know there's a cyclical nature to the way i work um wherein you know i like you know if you if you take my my film scores out of the out of the equation i mean this is the first record i've done since fuck when was it 2017 yeah, you know, it's it's a while. We're talking. I mean, it's like we're bordering on sort of Portishead, like you know, um, levels of uh, you know of uh, silence. Um, and I think the older I get, the more I understand that. You know, um, you know, I've been really privileged to you know to have a sort of a fairly long-standing relationship with the uh, friendship with with Jeff with Jeff Barrow at this point in time and uh, I've, I've asked him about that on a number of occasions and you know it just like it, you know he is this feeling that there's just less and less that needs to be done I suppose um 
I understand that more and more now. Like, because I think when you when it is when you do turn when you do turn the the mirror back in on yourself and, and sort of go, okay, well, what what is it I want to do now? Like, there's the 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 questions become bigger and the challenge becomes more. Like, it it becomes harder to kind of like raise the bar and. Um, You, you you mentioned soundtrack work. Um, yeah, I wondered if that had, in a way, influenced your use of space and silence, because that's I think a good you know a good soundtrack definitely makes good use of those of those properties. Mm -hmm. Again, I mean, it's a different kind of there's a different kind of negative space there because. You know, when you're talking about a, a score, a, a proper soundtrack, you know, it's inevitably a, um, it's a counterpart to a, 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 another idea, another narrative. It, it, it's a counterpart to a bigger narrative. Um, and so the, the implied silence in film, in film music is, is making room for the film, you know, it's dancing around dialogue, it's dancing around, um, you know, all the other kind of elements of the filmmaking. And I suppose in some ways I consider this record and, you know, by extension, maybe all, all the other, the other records I, I, I've tried to make, um, very much a sort of, uh, uh, the antithesis of that idea in some ways um, I, I really yeah I, I, I would really like to think they're, they're different and I, I would go even further to say that like you know getting um, a, a huge part of this record as a as a process um was really about writing myself out of that headspace like get like it's like you know it's like a detox um you know like coming it's writing film music is dangerous you know it's it's a dangerous job um for somebody who also wants to write music in and of itself you know i remember talking with with Johan about this, you know, years ago before he died, you know, the, this idea that, um, you know, it, the more, the more you kind of immerse yourself in that world, the more you lean into that, you lean into this kind of like this narrative crutch of, um, the, the impetus to write music is driven by what's in front of you you know by, by the story that you're responding to you know it's a it's a far scarier and more daunting task to just to 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 kind of write music out of out of out of out of you know the ether so to speak yeah the the fear of the blank page right right yeah yeah and you know i i filled in the blank pages a lot like um, but it was all shit. It was all complete shit for for like a, I mean, honestly, like a couple of years. I mean, like, and and it coincided with COVID, and that was also a really rough time for me. Like, I know I know a lot of artists, um, a lot of friends of mine who who really reveled in that period. They really reveled in that that sort of the introspection and the 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 non uh, you know the non movement. Um, but for me, it was a it was a disaster because, I, and I didn't I didn't realize it before then. Of course, um, you know, if you'd asked me before that period, I, I probably would have you know romanticized that idea. Of course, I would love to sit at home for sit at home for eighteen months in my pajamas and just write music. Like like it sounds good, you know. Um, but for me, it was a disaster. I I I, uh, I realized very quickly that a big part of my process was the kind of kinetic energy. Of, of moving and, and, and being in different spaces and, and kind of taking taking an idea and and moving it through different you know kind of situations as a way of kind of isolating it from its you know from the source and, and sort of looking at it from different angles and talking to different people about it and you know um, and so yeah like like everything that kind of came out of that period was 
was rubbish. Um, and uh, yeah. I think it's interesting because some musicians, I believe in COVID and I think in general, um, used making music as a tool to sort of feel better about themselves. And it didn't really matter to them if it was good music or not. It was just, you know, I'm going to make something, maybe something ambient, you know, may, and I'll enjoy doing it. It doesn't matter if it's good. Is that, is that something you can you can personally do? Can you be happy just making something that's okay, you know, for the process and maybe never releasing it? In fact, probably never releasing it. Well, I, I, I did do that. For sure. And I think that in the moment, that's definitely, um, that's definitely how some of that felt. I think the problem is that it was, for me, it was imbued with, with exactly that feeling of this sort of, I don't know, um, it felt kind of in, 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 you know, um, in sort of looking back at it, you know, afterwards, it felt it felt static and sort of, um, you know, Prozac, use of a better word, you know, and and so, like the the idea of like, okay, well, you know, is that is that what I really want to get behind? Is that what I want to take with me moving forward? It was like a resounding, fuck no, like like that that is not, you know, that's not that that's not something I want to extend into my waking life. Um, but uh, but no, I, I I do understand that. I I, I and I I, I, have, I totally respect it. I mean, I think there are musicians who who really do that incredibly well. Um, this this idea of and and the, I think there is there's something also in the discipline of going into the studio every day and, and working in spite of not wanting to. Um, that's never really worked for me. Um, like Alessandro Cortini is is you know but like but the person that comes to mind immediately. I mean the the guy is just a, he's a machine. Um, like like going into the studio every day and just working and making things and and not really questioning their value. You know like just doing it and then putting it aside and moving on to the next thing. Um, there's a Japanese musician whose name I'm going to completely destroy, so I won't try. But he. Um, I'm sure you could Google him, but he he, uh, he he makes makes an album every day. Wow! Um, releases an album every day, uh, and this has been going on for a couple of years now. You know, I mean, this everybody's different, I guess, is the point. Um, one very notable feature um, on Scope Neglect um, are the guitars from Greg Kubaki. Um, and you also worked with um, Liam Andrews, uh, yeah. who's a bass player. Um, Greg is from uh, Carbon, who are mm -hmm. a prog metal band. Mm -hmm. um, are, are you a big metal fan? Yeah, absolutely. Always have been. What do you What do you like in metal? There, I think that there's, you know, like like all genres, um, metal uh, carries a lot of baggage w with it, you know. Um, and there there are certain tropes of of the genre, um, which I find hard to kind of move past. Um, specifically, the the, vo the vocal stuff, um, the the vocal delivery, especially in like progressive metal um but i think once once you sort of move beyond that and start to actually like get inside the music and 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 look at what's really going on there there's a i suppose there's a um there's a kind of an a, an economy there's a sort of a like a very economic way of working with sound that I, I kind of find fascinating it is a very limited palette so it is by definition sort of there's a certain minimalism there um you know one or two guitars a bass player a drummer and then it, there's a the the mechanics of of metal like when i think about a band like carbon or meshuga 
um, you know, a, another Swedish uh, band who I worked with many years ago now called Kropos, um, which is a slightly different sound, but but definitely um, sort of coming from the same space of, yeah, this sort of the, the mechanics of the music. It's almost sort of mathematical approach to tempo and uh, melody and harmony and, you know, and, and time. It's there's a sort of a ferocity to it that is really fascinating to me, and there's a yeah, there's a sort of a, a, a sort of athleticism almost to the to the way it works that I find kind of uh, fascinating. In the same way that I find maths fascinating, I'm really bad at it myself, but um, there's a beauty there's a beauty in it that I that I'm really drawn to, and so. And kind of approaching Greg to, you know, to come and work with me on the record. I, you know, we'd never met before. And I, uh, I reached out to him and and just sort of said, "Hey, this is, you know, um, what I'm thinking. Do you want to, do you want to come and, you know, try some stuff with me?" And and you know, it, it it he he was he was really open to the idea. And and of course, once we met, you know, and and started talking, it became very obvious very quickly that uh he's a he's a massive electronic music fan and you know the the way that like like you know ortec or uh apex twin he's a he's a big kind of warp label like fanatic and of course once you know that and then you go back and you listen to Carbomb again it's like of course of course he is of, co of course like it, it it's it's all there this kind of this this um, this fascination with the sort of asymmetry within you know within rhythm specifically and and just the you know all the kind of arpeggiation and 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 sort of breaking apart of chords. I mean he, you know that's that's how he how he's kind of thinking about music um, is in the same way as you know something like Incanabula or or whatever from from Ortega. and uh, and so we we quickly sort of had a had a dialogue through through that sort of i don't know um there's a bridge there and then with um with liam i mean my disco is the band i always wanted to be in you know? um, and the fact that they're from my hometown and you know that we're you know we're friends i mean that was kind of an added bonus but i mean irrespective of that they are hands down one of the best bands working today i mean it's a, it's a it's the kind of band i always i always dreamed of being a part of they they have a and and watching them kind of evolve over the the past 10 years from a sort of a i don't know something that really was coming from that sort of um post shellac sort of math rock albini kind of world you know, minimalist drum bass guitar thing and sort of developing almost into this sort of, um, I don't know, it's more like a collective now. They're, they're really making music that is it's highly deconstructed and very sort of album centered. And the, the way that the music works on stage is not the way that it works in, on the, on the record. And, and there's a, you know, the sort of the, the dissolving of, of egos, like, you know, like if it doesn't need bass, then they just don't put bass on it. And I, I love that. I love that about them. And I love that they just keep pushing the envelope and every album feels new and different. And so with Liam, um, you know, we've been talking for years about trying to do something together. And I, I just knew that he was the right person to talk to about bringing into this process because I, I, I knew that, you know, talking again about space, he, he, he just understands that. And I think there's a, there's a kind of shockingly <laughs> uh, little little kind of dialogue about what needed to be done in the studio. He just, I knew he would just get it, and, and that that was true. One of the songs on the new album um, has the Nirvana referencing name "Load Up on Guns, Bring Your Friends." Mm. Um, I, does the song itself have anything to do with smells like teen spirit in any way? I was wondering kind of where the title came from. I think the way I think about titles 
is that you know like like making making the kind of music I do I mean it's 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 non-lyrical and it's you know it's not about text ultimately um, but the 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 process of making making this music it takes time you know and there's a lot of there's a lot of time between you know the recording process and then you know going through and editing things and whatever and, and you know we're talking months and months and even years sometimes and of course through that process I'm also reading I'm also you know watching things having conversations and absorbing whatever the hell's going on around me and so it is inevitably these things sort of exist in parallel and I think one of the things that was really for whatever reason sort of resonating with me through this period um, was going back and actually reading um, some of Kurt's lyrics which of course you know I, I sung them all as a teenager we all did um, but I think with time what's really become clear to me is that he had an under like as a as a writer put nirvana aside for a second and just just look at the the lyrics i mean the, the the poetry even if you will um the he had an understanding of kind of the the world that we live in that i think um was was maybe a little bit sort of masked unfortunately by you know the thing that was kind of around it and and uh, yeah I think those those lyrics maybe like they the, the weight has shifted for me but the but the the uh, they still have weight maybe maybe more so now than ever um, and yeah I, I I just really like I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a, there's a there's a bunch of different ways to think about any of the texts in you know the um, one of the one of the track titles is, is quoting Seabold, um, the German writer who has been a, a huge influence on me. Um, you know, there's 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 other little kind of things I'm pulling on there, and uh, I think part of the joy for me in releasing a record like this into the wild is the idea that somebody out there is <laughs> I, I mean i can't imagine there's too many but the but the, some there's some there's going to be somebody out there who's never listened to smells like teen spirit you know or, or or rather they've never really really you know listened you know or or, or or let alone read it and i just i like that idea i like the idea that okay there's this there's this little thread here that maybe someone is going to pick up and you know what connection they make between those things is about as arbitrary as the one I made with it which is to your point um, you know it's it's a entirely constructed relationship I mean they're not I, I haven't I haven't sampled Nirvana I haven't you know it's not a cover it's um it's just me kind of um, threading the needle a little bit you know um another there's another song called 1993 mm. um and we are roughly the same age um so for me um 1993 was you know i was a teenager and you know really 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 getting into music and um you know, I think there's an argument to be made for, you know, that's the time where music hits you most, you know, when 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 you're that kind of age. And then with the sort of Nirvana reference, I, I, yeah, I was wondering what you, if that was kind of what you were referencing with 1993, if you were looking back to yourself as a teenager, you know, and, and what life was like then. Yeah, I think there's definitely, I mean, first, firstly, I'll say you're the first person that's ever asked about any of this. So <laughs> thanks for that. Um, I yeah there there is there is definitely like a I would like to think that in some way that, that the part of the record is about sort of sifting through a sort of a, a nostalgia of some kind 
Um, there is a um, there is a there is a part of me that that really uh, that that feels uh, maybe a, a a sense of a sense of loss in you know now having 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 kids that are sort of moving into that stage of their life that that you know we're we're talking about and seeing the way that they they don't seeing seeing the kind of the the the, the differential there the there is a there is a a way that they're growing up that feels very different to the one that I remember at that age and uh, specifically in regards to music I suppose the the lack thereof or the lack of connection the lack of I don't know um, the the disconnection maybe that um, I see for you know for my 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 eldest at least my my teenager. Um, I don't know. I, I I think they'll find their way, but it's it's going to be tougher than I think it was maybe for you and I. Yeah. Um, you know, it always felt to me like music was the was the way that I made friends. You know, it was the way that I you know it was. And, and that went in both directions. You know, I found music because of friends and I found friends because of music. And, but now, you know, there's, there's so many walls between, between them. Um, and, you know, the, the, the death of the record store isn't about the, it isn't about the physical sale of music. It's about the death of an ecosystem. Um, it's about not, you know, it's about walking up to the counter to buy, you know, the record and handing it over to the the grumpy guy behind the counter and him scolding you and telling you this is just ripping off this thing and you should really listen to that instead, you know, and, and um, you know, the, the, the band, the posters on the wall looking for a drummer and... Yeah, must must be a Metallica fan. Like, like that. It is a tragedy that that is has kind of been lost there somewhere. And I I suppose I'm not. I don't want to glorify that too much. But I definitely I want to I want to see something come as like come in its place. Um, you know. And so yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the those titles are in some way yeah it is kind of old man nostalgia and i'm okay with that um i'm very much here for that i mean i think the thing it's interesting to go about record shop what always makes me wonder with my kids is that my parents had a load of you know records in their collection and i used to go and you know take them and, and listen to them and while i do have a load of records i don't currently have a record player so it kind of worries me like well not worries me but it's like well how how will i get my taste you know how will the kids even know my taste you know i play i play music but that's going to be quite random you know i'm not going to play some of the most extreme stuff while we're having we're having dinner and yeah it just doesn't worry me but it's just like well it's maybe a shame i don't know mm. i mean what fascinates me um is is the way that you know, I mean, again, if we're talking about a band like Nirvana, how how much that resonates with with kids even now, you know, with my kids at least, um, and how little there is that kind of works on that same level, uh, you know, in a in a in a kind of uh, in a mod modern sense, you know, like I I, I mean, I, I have a shared playlist with my thirteen year old. Um, she sends me whatever she's she's listening to and there's a lot of stuff in there that is as uh, as old as I am you know um, and I I don't remember that being the case when I was a kid like 
when when I was you know 14 15 I wasn't listening to stuff that my parents were listening to I think I came back to that much later on you know my yeah, mother yeah. was a massive Kate Bush fan and I don't recall being interested in Kate Bush when I was 14 or 15 that happened later and I was like oh fuck yeah she was she knew she knew what she was talking about you know um but I it wasn't in the in the moment in the moment it was like you know it was it was everything I was into and uh yeah I don't know it, to me that speaks more to it's a it's a real estate problem than anything else you know how are you going to have a band if there's nowhere to fucking rehearse them? You know, like if everyone's living in, you know, 60 square meter apartments uh, because they've been priced out of the neighborhood, then, you know, of course, uh, where, where are the kids going to make music? Um, I don't know. It's definitely going to change things for sure. I mean, talking of inspiration, um, Talk Talk were a big inspiration on the new album, right? Yeah. Uh, again, what is it about them that that inspired you? Oh, God, where do you start? I mean, okay, I mean, firstly, like, so I don't know if you know this, but, um, you know, when, when Talk Talk went into the studio to record Spirit of Eden, and they presented it to the record company. Uh, the record label sued them for breach of contract because they basically, their position was in a court of law that they had uh, basically broken the contract by making music that didn't sound like Talk Talk. Now, in my man, in my mind, that's ever that's that's something that every musician should aspire to, is to make something that, you know, breaks the mind of, you know, the guy who runs the label. Um, yeah, that that you know, if you if you're making something that you're going to be potentially sued for, then I think you're on the right path. You know, like that Andre Three Thousand record. I mean, I think that's definitely, you know, that's 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 pulling on the, the talk talk narrative there. Um, so, you know, reinvention and this sort of like, you know, the Phoenix, you know, sort of light, lighting oneself on fire to, to rise from the ashes. I think there's, there's something in that narrative. Um, the huge pop band that didn't want to be a pop band anymore. And they just started from scratch. I, I love I love that story. I've always loved that story. But then, you know, you, of course, then you move into the music itself, and just the the there's so many aspects to those records that just keep pulling me back in. You know, I mean, I think of my top five all-time records: the two, La the Spirit of Eden and Laughing Stock, and Mark Hollis' solo record are definitely op you know occupying three of those spots. Like. Um, and I think it's because of the depths, there's a, there's just a, there's an endless, um, depth to, to the, to the records. Every time you listen to them, I just, I hear something new. The, uh, there's Phil Brown, the, the engineer, the producer who worked with Mark Hollis was, you know, he wrote a book about those recordings which you know I've, I've read i and many of my peers have read sort of you know cover to cover many times and um you know this this idea of bringing bringing collaborators into a space you know where you, you have the basic construction of music there's a there's a sort of a there's a sort of a framework for an idea of a song or a, a piece of music and you're bringing people into it, inviting them to sort of, you know, respond to it, but not showing them all of the parts. Like just saying, okay, this is actually, it's only this, you know, it's only this thing, like muting everything else and then having them respond to that. And then 
you know, and then doing it again, but going, okay, actually, no, it's only this. And then sort of changing what it is they're responding to. And of course, then inevitably they leave and, and you're left with these multiple takes that are all referencing the same idea, but the responses are all wildly different and they're, they're, they're kind of coming at it from different angles. And it's such a, it's such a simple, but such a powerful idea um, of how to, you know, how to color, like how to color a, a record, how to give, give depth to a thing. Um, and then of course, you know, the, the next step of it is then going through all that. And you, you have Mark and, and Phil Brown that they're sort of going through all these takes and grabbing this little phrase from take one and this little phrase from take three and this little phrase from take five and then stitching those together and then you and I listen to it as an audience and we're hearing this melody. We're hearing this, we're watching this shape that actually doesn't exist at all. Like it's, it feels like a, it feels like this, this uh, unified thing, but it's actually, if you, if you were to sort of look at it from the other angle, it's that there's no connection at all between those things. We're making those connections, you know, on, on our end. And I think that that, that for me, you know, again, going back to this idea of like the, the spaces between things, um, I've always been of the mind that, that audiences are way smarter than, you know, they're given credit for and, 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 and making, making the gap between things wider, you know, maybe in a, like in a, in a literal sense sometimes, but, but also in a sort of a, a philosophical sense, like, like making the spaces wider is asking more of the audience, but the, the more they're drawn into it, the more we we're pulled into it and, and we're asked to make sense of it ourselves, the more, um, the more connection, I don't know, I, I, I feel with music, you know, the more demanding it is and the, the, the more it allows me to, to be a part of it, the more I, I love it, I guess. It's also a very modern way of making music, isn't it? Rather than recording a band playing their live set, it's like, you know, bringing in parts from other places. As you say, something that doesn't, never really existed. It's not like a recording of something that mm. actually happened, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, there's, there's definitely um, the, the, the sort of using the studio as a as an instrument i mean obviously that that speaks to me um and yeah i think there's a there's a kind of a a, a wealth of of you know of knowledge to be sort of taken from i mean that was such a crazy era you know like the early 90s like if you think about the early 90s from a production point of view i mean in the same breath as you have talk talk you have something also like uh like the black album by metallica which is you know really the zenith point of like analog sound production you know you've got a two million dollar budget to make an album um you know but they're still recording on tape you know like pro tools exist but just barely like they're still kind of just messing around with a little bit so but at the same time it's like pro tools level production so you got like Lars Ehrlich sitting in there, like, you know, editing, not drum takes, but like editing drums, like, like this fucking snare hit, like, okay, we need to replace that one with another one, but they're working on a two inch tape machine. So it's like, it's like, okay, we're going to slice out this thing the way you would in Pro Tools now, the way you would in any kind of, you know, DAW today, but they're doing it with a razor blade, you know? And it's like just the amount of, uh, you know, financial resources behind those kinds of decisions. I mean, it's it's wild to think about. You know, and so like all of that happened in that same t in that same period. You know, you got Mark Hollis and 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 Phil Brown and and Talk Talk going into the studio and staying there for a fucking year. You know, like like a year. Like they just move in. You know, it's the same period as as you know, Loveless was made. You know, just 
studio as a as a not even as a as a workspace but almost like a like a it's like a living space you know yeah people moved in it was a wild time for music I wondered if I might ask something about Dark. I know it's got nothing to do with, <laughs> sure. with, with the new album, but as as I, I'm sure I explained before, I'm such a vast fan of, of, of Dark. I, I generally think it's one of the best TV series ever ever produced, and your soundtrack work to it is, is astounding. Thanks, man. I appreciate um, it. Last time we spoke, season three had yet to film. Mm -hmm. I don't think you've done. I don't think you've done the music yet, if I if I remember. Um, and I was just wondering that obviously the the final season without without giving any spoilers ratchets up the complexity <laughs> I mean by a, an extreme level yeah and I wondered if that made your job a lot more complex because again without giving to like characters in dark have their own themes and then you get other versions of those characters again you know without giving it away it just seems like I mean, it cost, it, 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 you know, for me to understand what was happening was quite big. I mean, like, I, was that hard for you? I mean, yeah, it was hard, but like, I love that. I love it when it's hard, you know? Um, you know, the, this, this idea of like the sort of like the alternate versions of, of some of these characters, it was some of these, you know, ideas, you know these narrative ideas. I mean, they just they just went straight into the music. So okay, well, we got a version of um, you know Marta, uh, who is now actually in place of Jonas in this other weird reality. Um, so let's just take the theme I wrote for Jonas and. Instead of recording it with strings, I'm going to put together a brass band in Poland, and we're just going to record it using the exact same sheets of music, you know. And the thing that was now the thing that was played on a on a violin is now going to be on an oboe. And let's just see how far that gets us, you know. Like like just just basically do exactly the same thing, but with completely different circumstances. And see if that fits and you know more often than not it worked because the the story the storytelling is so strong and the logic is so sound within within the writing that you know the it really allowed me as a as a as the composer to kind of just lean into that lean into that logic and go okay well you know if if it if it works you know, if if I know where that's going, then I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go with that, um, and and trust in the resolution of those ideas. You know, as as it sort of you know culminates. And um, no, I mean it was a, it was a, a, an amazing ride to be a part of that and to sort of see the way that. Um, you because know, I, I think in some ways part part of my a big part of my job in that in that project was perhaps um, to to allow the music to if only subconsciously be something that you could sort of lean into um, in in uh, you you could trust the music in a way. Because I think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, twists and turns in the in the storytelling, and a lot of um, things that feel like they're pulling you one direction, but they're actually going in another one. But if you actually go back and listen to the score, in hindsight, mostly I would say that the score is is always kind of giving you the truth, like from the outset. It's like. Um, you know, and and I, I kind of felt like that was an important thing, especially with such a complicated narrative. So, yeah. Did you ever have to go to the creators and go, "This is what I think is happening"? Is that what is actually happening? 
Um, one of the one of the great like privileges of, of working on something like this is is being able to sit with the you know the the creator of the show, um, the creator of the the story, um, Yantia, who's the the writer. Being able to sort of sit with her and say, "Hey, like, um, explain this to me," you know, like explain this to me like I'm five, like, like what what happens now, you know? So we're here, and then he's going to do what, and then okay, and then what happens? And and really just have her sort of walk me walk me through it, and just ask questions and 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 say, so like, who is she to you? What like? How do you want me to feel about this person? Like, um, what is what does this really mean? Like, what like like what is what is this thing about for you? And and being able to sort of get inside the head of, um, you know, of of the the, the real creator behind the thing. It's a, it's a it's a really thrilling conversation, um, and it it definitely feeds the work, one hundred percent. I should say I also loved uh, 1899, and I really, mm. really hope that um, that I can come back in 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 some scope. And uh, again, um, the score was was excellent. But um, I've I've taken up far too much of your time. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> scope neglect is out. Um, I think I, when is it out? I did have a date somewhere. First of, first of March, I think. First of March. First That's of what March. I was told. Um, well, it's an excellent album. Um, Thanks, mate. And uh, thank you so much for speaking to us today. And yeah, of um, course. Yeah, have a good uh, have a good rest of the day. Appreciate Rap. it, man. Thanks Rap. for the time. Okay, take care. Bye. 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 You're listening to Radio Primavera Sound, proudly presented by Cupra.